everybody. A very exciting playoff preview episode of the Mission Control Astros podcast. Uh, since we were last with you just a few days ago, the Rangers made very quick and easy work uh, of their series with the Rays in Tampa. And we're not going to talk much about that on this episode. That feeds into a Rangers-Orioles series starting uh, just very shortly here, if you're listening to us on Saturday morning. Um, but of course, the other series that impacts us directly, the Minnesota Twins at home took care of business against just a perpetually underachieving Toronto Blue Jays roster um, that struggled in a variety of ways in that series. Some weird pitching decisions. They, um, they were quick to get Barrios out of the game and go to Kikuchi, and, and that blew up on them. But more so, they just did not score against what is a very strong Minnesota Twins pitching staff uh, that is now our problem here uh, in Houston. So game one, Later today, Astros will send Justin Verlander to the mound. Dusty Baker announced uh, earlier in the week. It will be Verlander game one, Framber Valdez game two, followed, we would assume, by Christian Javier in game three. And Dana Brown kind of hinted at that uh, in a radio hit that um, Urquidy is not likely to get a start. And I find it very hard to believe that it would be J.P. France starting game three over Javier. Uh, so I would assume Christian Javier will start in Minnesota in game three. The Twins have already announced their first three starters, and we're going to go to Aiden here in a second to talk more about that. But Bailey Ober, who was not in the top three projected starters in their series in Toronto, he would not have pitched or against Toronto. He would not have pitched in that series at all as a starter, is going to get the game one start over Joe Ryan, who would have been the game three starter, had already been announced had that series gone three games. Now, one thing to think about before Aiden breaks it down that they may have been thinking, um, Joe Ryan did see the Astros twice this year, and he was one and one, but gave up a few home runs in those uh, combined in those two starts. I think he won his start in April here and then lost his start and got beat up pretty good in four innings in May. Um, and Ober has not seen the Astros this year or last year at all. Um, but Ober's been bounced around. In fact, when they called Dallas Keuchel up to make a spot start in September, they actually sent Ober down to the minors. So this is a guy who'd been optioned this year as recently as early September, um, who's now getting the ball. And he was very good in his last three or four starts when he came back, right-handed pitcher. Um, so he'll be going up against Verlander. We don't have rosters finalized as we're recording here. We're going to talk about a couple of those roster decisions uh, later in the show. Uh, but anyway, Ober will go game one. Pablo Lopez will go game two. Um, you might remember they acquired him from the Marlins in a trade in the previous offseason. Um, and he is a, a strong starting pitcher, though not quite elite, uh, certainly a strong number two. And game three is going to be Sonny Gray, who we know pretty well here in Houston, uh, who pitched game two to clinch the Toronto series. And has probably been their best pitcher this year. And so Gray is someone we're very unlikely to see more than once in this series. He'd be only two days rest to even come out of the bullpen uh, if it were to go to game five. So he'll start game three, likely against Javier. Uh, thoughts on the Twins pitching for us, Aiden? Um, Ober's a bit of a surprise game one. What are you seeing there? What should Astros fans look at? What should Dusty be looking at? Yeah, um, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, 
You know, I actually recently messaged, uh, I used to work um, in Palm Springs. I did an internship there in the summer of 2022. And one of the broadcasters there, his name is Nash Walker. And uh, he does a great job broadcasting, but he's also a diehard lifelong Twins fan. And uh, he ran a Locked On Twins podcast um, for a very long time. Currently now he's the broadcaster for the Reno Aces, uh, the Diamondbacks AAA team. So uh, I messaged him to try to see what was going on there. Because I think most people from an outside perspective expected um, a Joe Ryan game one start. And, you know, Nash's response was pretty simple. Um, he just said it's simply about performance. Um, Bailey Ober was better than Joe Ryan in the second half, like considerably better. Um, and so sometimes it does just come down to that. Um, and Bailey Ober's splits are a little bit strange, especially if you look at his time through the order splits. Um, it does seem like as he goes through the order by, you know, a few different metrics, Woba by, um, FIP, uh, you get a decreasing WOBA and a decreasing FIP each time through the order, um, signifying that he actually gets better. Um, And granted, there is some, and I will mention this every time we do talk about times through the order splits, there is some survivorship bias in that, you know, the times he faces the third time or even the second time uh, are generally times where he's pitching better. Um, So it's not exactly an equal sample for each, uh, each time through the order. That said, this does seem to be a pitcher who uh, is relatively volatile the first time through. Um, but if he does have a good first time through, he settles in pretty nicely and is, is set to give you a pretty good start. Um, so I think the first few innings will be pretty telling in game one. Um, it's not This is not an unbeatable pitcher by any means, but he's also one who does uh, command quite a bit of respect. I mean, especially uh, early in game, strikes out batters at a very respectable rate. Um, not someone who gets... Uh, hit hard necessarily so um, the Astros do have their work cut out for him for them but um, Ober does get the game one nod Um, now over to Joe Ryan who his role seems to be a little bit less clear I guess Um, if he's not starting game one there's one other game that has a pretty clear opening Um, you know Lopez is getting game two and pretty much definitely game five if it gets to that Um, There's no reason why Sonny Gray wouldn't get game three. Um, So that does leave game four as an opening. I I don't think the Twins value over enough to to throw him on short rest there. Um, Also, they've already announced, sorry, just to clarify, they have already announced officially Sonny Gray uh, for game three too. So it really is just down to game four. It's just game four because you know that, I mean, there's no reason why Pablo Lopez wouldn't get a game five. Um, Likely with, and, you know, likely for that game, they'd also probably want Bailey Ober at least available out of the pen. So game four does seem to be Joe Ryan's game, unless they want to pivot to Maeda, but I don't think that would make much sense. Um, But yeah, I mean, uh, the the Astros saw uh, Joe Ryan a few times this year, um, hit him uh, relatively hard. I know Jordan Alvarez hit a a grand slam off of him in Minnesota, Um, but also remember that uh, in the games that Sonny Gray and Joe Ryan started in uh, April, the Astros struck out 33 times. So both both pitchers are capable of doing um, pretty uh, fantastic things against the Astros, and that shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be taken without caution. Um, and then the other component to this is that you know the Twins bullpen, especially the back end of it, is certainly um, a force to be reckoned with. And so um, you know when I say something like the Astros need to uh, get to Ober early and make sure it's not one of those starts he settles in. Um, the effect of getting him, getting to him early, or I guess the also the consequence of not doing so, um, is 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 compounded uh, by the Twins' bullpen, especially the back end. So um, pretty pivotal stuff going on. I, I was very 
adamant, especially um, as I looked more into the numbers, that um, the Twins would be a pretty clearly tougher opponent for the Astros. I think there are a few names on the Blue Jays that seem to scare people, but that's not a team that's, I don't even think I'd put them necessarily on the same level as the Twins. And I think we saw that, you know, and obviously only a two game sample, but I think we got a glimpse of that at least. Um, so, um, you know, all in all, the Astros have a very tough opponent, um, one that should not be taken uh, lightly. I think, honestly, maybe you could argue that they're the toughest po- opponent remaining for the Astros in the American League, given the, their pitching. I mean, I talked about this on the last uh, episode, but the, the, the Twins had the lowest um, ex-WOBA against uh, among all teams, so very, very c- capable of limiting damage. And, um, you know, the Astros, unfortunately, or I guess not to, the, to their fault, but are not going to get to camp capitalize on a as depleted of a rotation and a bullpen as you would like for a team that just played a wild card series um you know they're 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 lined up pretty nicely so uh yeah i'm looking forward to that uh that uh aspect of the series but um the twins pitching is no joke no matter if it's bailey ober pablo lopez sonny gray um a lot a lot of good stuff uh for the twins and the astros will certainly need to respond accordingly yeah and all the teams that got buys are somewhat relatively disadvantaged by the fact that there were no three game series, no game three starters were used last week. So that allows most of these teams to open with that, even though the twins are not opening with their projected game three starter and then bring back the one and two starters in games two and three. So every team can start their top three pitchers in the first three games, even though they played last week, which creates some real even series. Now, Dusty's got some decisions to make. All of the starting pitchers for the Twins, as we've said, are right-handed. Their bullpen is also overwhelmingly right-handed. They have one lefty who they use. um, Caleb Thielbar is the only lefty who appeared um, at all in the previous series. They have Giovanni Moran down there, but I don't even know if they're rostering him. And he was pretty wild this year, 27 walks in 42 innings. They may, but the bullpen's very right-handed. They're, they're top, you know, we know about Duran, the closer. Griffin Jacks does a lot of their major setup work there. Um, they have Brock Stewart down there, who's been excellent. It's a lot of right-handed relief work. So for the Astros, you've got to think about roster construction. We don't know exactly who's on the roster right now. What we do know is they're debating whether to carry a 14th hitter and go with 12 pitchers, which they usually have, a five-man bench. That's every previous division series they've had a five-man bench, uh, going all the way back to the A.J. Hinch years, but also Dusty. Or whether to carry a 13th pitcher. And when we look at it on the hitting side, you have to ask yourself, okay, Gray Kessinger, if you carry him, we'll get to Singleton in a minute, because those are really the only two hitters on the bubble. If you carry Gray Kessinger, it's because there might be a situation in which Dubon is no longer in the game or available off the bench, and you need to have a backup infielder. And so how likely is it that Dubon would be used and removed, right? That you need the flexibility to do it. If you think Dusty would actually pinch hit for Dubon against a really good right-handed pitcher, and this staff is loaded with good right-handed pitchers, then you'd want to have Kessinger. You could even extend that to Jeremy Pena, by the way. If you think Dusty would ever hit for Pena against a really good right-handed pitcher, you could make the case that you want to have Kessinger around so you have coverage on the infield, you know, depending on what's happening with Dubon and everything else. You might need him in the outfield if you use Myers to pinch run and all these shenanigans. Okay. That's kind of the conversation you have to have. Is Dusty going to ever hit 
for Dubon or Pena so that they would be removed from the game after already entering it. If we assume Dubon was on the bench in the first place, it's a moot point. He can come in for defense if he's needed. You don't need Kessinger. But would Dubon ever enter a game and then leave it? Singleton has a similar calculus here because it's if you're only going to pinch it from Maldonado, if there's nobody else in the starting lineup, meaning Dubon and Pena, Chaz McCormick, we know he's hit for McCormick with Singleton once before in a big spot. But if you're never going to hit for any of the righties except Maldonado, and you're always going to have either Brantley or Yiner on the bench, which I think has to be the, that's the, the spot in the lineup that's a swing spot. If Brantley's healthy, he's going to start against righties. If he can't start back-to-back days, Jordan hopefully goes out to left, Yiner DHs. So it's basically a Brantley-Yiner platoon, depending on Brantley's health at the DH spot. If you're only going to hit for Maldi, then the guy who's not starting between those two is going to be the guy who hits for Maldi. Brantley hits for him and then just stays in the game, and Yiner, you give up the DH spot, and Yiner goes behind the plate. And then perhaps you want Singleton to hit for the pitcher's spot if you get to the 11th or 12th inning, because remember, there's no ghost runner anymore. So as we learned last year in the division series, you can go all night, and if you've got your DH, you know, you know, basically giving you a pitcher's spot, right, then you're probably going to have a chance to see in the 12th, 13th inning a pitcher hitting for himself, or you're going to need that extra hitter to hit, right? The extra roster spot, even if it's Kessinger, to have a professional hitter hit. Okay. By the way, I think that's a reason why you're not going to see Yiner start in this. Unfortunately, in this format, they, they can't, if he's not going to carry a third catcher and Dana said he's not, that you're not going to move Yiner Diaz out of DH in a game that could go all night. I think Dusty would be hesitant to do it. So I think you're probably best off, frankly, Brantley's going to start and then Yiner's going to pinch hit from Aldi in the eighth or ninth and then just stay in behind the plate the rest of the way if it goes 18 innings, right? So that said, what's Singleton doing? If you're not pinch hitting for Maldi with Singleton, you're pinch hitting for him with Yiner, then Singleton's value, which I think is there, is in a scenario where Myers runs for Abreu, which makes a lot of sense, right? If Abreu gets on in the eighth inning with a leadoff single and you're down a run or tied, having Jake Myers run for Jose Abreu is not crazy. And then you've got Singleton there to play first base the rest of the night and take the at-bats if it comes around. Now, you don't need both. I think it's hard to argue you need both Kessinger and Singleton. But if you go 15, 16 innings, of course, you're going to need a lot of everything. You're going to need pitching too. But in a 9 to 10 to maybe 11 inning game, it's hard to see yourself really needing Kessinger and Singleton. That said, before we get into the pitching side of the equation, is there one you see more usefulness against an overwhelmingly right-handed staff? Should Dusty pinch hit for Jeremy Pena with John Singleton? I mean, in an ideal world, if you've got a righty in there, reliever, late in the game, say it's Griffin Jacks, maybe it's Duran in the ninth, and he's got good stuff, good off-speed stuff. Do you leave Pena in? Do you leave Dubon in if he's the personal center fielder for Verlander in game one? Or would you be wanting Singleton to get that at bat? Runner on second, one out, leading off the inning, you know, one scenario more than another, close game, late. So just talk a little bit about the offensive roster as you see it construction-wise and decision-wise. I mean, truthfully, I don't think it makes much of a difference whether you roster uh, Kessinger or Singleton. Um, 
obviously Singleton offers a better bat. Kessinger offers more defensive versatility and a, and, a, and better base running. Um, I think it probably comes down to what Dusty's plan is. Like what what I would do is also in accordance with, you know, what what else I would do. Um, you know, for example, if I had to decide on a thirteenth hitter to roster, it's it's a it's a no brainer. It's Cesar Salazar. Um, I'm much more aggressive with Yiner Diaz, and that's offers way more value than uh, than you'd expect to get from either uh, Singleton or Kessinger, simply just because of their roles more than anything else. Um, so I do think carrying a third catcher would be extremely beneficial, especially you know in in long games. Um, you don't want Martin Maldonado in there. Frankly, you don't want Martin Maldonado in there anyway. But you know, so if I were running things, it'd be a little different. But regardless, under the assumption that they're not carrying a third catcher, um, I agree with you that they don't need both. And we'll get into pitching in a second, and you know, explain why uh, it does make sense to carry a thirteenth pitcher, at least in my opinion. Um, but between the two, um, I would probably lean Singleton. Um, it's just you don't. I mean, it, you don't. I don't think you're short of pinch runners when you have guys like Dubon and Myers uh, on the bench. There are very few guys who I think we'd see Dubon and Myers pinch hit for, especially Myers. Uh, we know Yiner slash Brantley, but likely Yiner um, is going to hit for Maldonado if it comes to it. Um, I don't think Dusty sees Dubon as an offensive upgrade over Pena, and 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 relatively fairly. I don't. I think they're they're pretty comparable um, with with relatively similar splits. Anyway, um, I don't think he sees Myers as an upgrade either. Um, so uh, I think we see Dubon in a very specific spot. Um, maybe when they need a base hit, more of a contact guy like runner on third with fewer than two outs. You probably prefer, sorry, you definitely prefer Dubon to Pena in that spot. Um, I think you see Myers and maybe Dubon as a defensive substitution for for like Jordan or Brantley um, sliding Chaz over to left. Um, but other than that, I don't think either is should be expected to use to be used enough where you're worried about not having a pinch runner on the bench. And if worst case scenario, you do need a pinch runner. And it has to be John Singleton. Like that's not even that doesn't kill your win probability. I mean, it's not ideal, but that's such a low impact scenario where you really. Let me stick with Singleton here for a second because I want to press you on this a little bit because I was doing a little research for the show. Pena this year, and look, World Series MVP, ALCS MVP. He was really pronounced in his splits, where you know. He had a 655 OPS against right-handed pitching um, this year. He only hit, you know, seven home runs in 460 plate appearances against right-handed pitching, right? 239, 107 strikeouts, um, you know, OPS plus of 81 against right-handed pitching. Now, Singleton has not been good in a very small sample this year against right-handed pitching either. Um I mean, if you put a gun to my head and said you've got bases loaded two outs, down a run, bottom of the ninth, Pena's batting eighth, Maldonado's batting ninth. Let's just say you already used Yiner for Maldi the last time around, right? You don't have Yiner here. He's on deck, okay? So you've got Pena up, and you've got Singleton, you know, and Kessinger or whatever left on the bench. Say you've got Singleton left on the bench, but, you know, you've got Dubon and center who you can slide to short and do some shenanigans. I would probably give the at-bat to Singleton if I'm just, you know, gun to my head here against Duran or whatever. I'd probably – there's a much higher probability he works a walk. There's a higher probability of extra bases. 
I don't think there's that much less of a probability of contact. Singleton doesn't strike out a ton. It's just low quality contact in the sample we've had. Um, so do I think Dusty's going to do that? Absolutely not. Jeremy Payne is not coming out of the game for John Singleton to hit, I don't think. And if he's not, it's very hard to see where you'd use Singleton unless you're going to run for a Brayu, like I said earlier. Um, and frankly, I don't think Dusty would run for a Brayu until the ninth inning as the tying run. I don't see a Brayu hitting a leadoff single in the bottom of the seventh later today. And Jake Myers trots out of the dugout as the tying run in the seventh inning. And Singleton goes in at first base in the eighth. I don't think he's going to do that. I, I think I think that's probably also the right call. Um, I don't right. Know the value of that extra base runner is all that significant. Right. So point being, I don't know how you carry Singleton if you're not going to hit him for Pena or someone who's not Maldonado. Um, and because Maldonado already theoretically has pinch hit coverage between Brantley and Yiner, whoever's not playing. But I'm saying I would. I would carry Singleton because I wouldn't give that at bat to Pena. And people can play this back when Pena hits a walk off double in that spot, you know, in this series. But um, the, the, I don't know. The, the, maybe you're seeing something in the exit velocity data on Pena, but I don't know why you'd give Pena an at bat against a good right handed pitcher uh, late in the game, more so than even Dubon. But anyway, that's a that's my thought on that. Yeah, I mean, Pena is an interesting case. I think uh, in the off season we might want to you know dive into his year a little bit more. Um, everybody, I think it's been well documented that that Jeremy Pena um, hasn't hit a homer since uh, July fifth, um, but he actually was better in the second half at the plate. Uh, Ninety one WRC plus in the first half, one hundred one in the second half. Um, like this new Jeremy Pena is actually like it's a he's an interesting hitter. He's still pretty below average in most quality of contact metrics, um, but he's. He lowered his K rate from uh, last year 24.2% to this year 20.3%. Like a, like a, a significant drop off. Um, he also uh, boosted his walk rate from th like an abysmal 3.9% last year to 6.8. Um, so two metrics that suggest that he's seeing the ball better. Um, now maybe he's compensating a little bit um, and it's it's hurting his quality of contact. Although I don't think you see too significant of a drop off in that in that uh, department, even though he did barrel baseballs at, at a much higher clip last year. So um, I'm not necessarily saying that this year's Jeremy Pena is better than last year's. I think it's interesting, um, but it is an interesting case to, 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 you know, think about now, how would Jeremy Pena, and I think we'll see a sample of it, but how would he perform against the league's top pitchers? Um, I mean, we saw what he did last postseason. I'm not going to use that as saying that, like, that's how Jeremy Pena performs against the league's top pitchers. Obviously, there's a lot, a lot going on there, but um, I think there was a big concern that throw the best sliders in the league to Jeremy Pena, and he's, you know, borderline helpless. Um, whereas now, I think, you know, throw him against Yohan Duran, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not as confident in a, in a negative outcome as, as before. Um, also, you know, comparing guys like Pena, Singleton, and Dubon, um, I mean, Dubon against righties, 84 WRC+, plus, Pena against righties, 82 WRC+, plus, Singleton, obviously, smaller sample, but 16 WRC+. Plus. The, the quality of contract or the contact or, the, or I guess just the, the expected WOBA um, on each of the three is a little more even. Um, Dubon's just ever so slightly ahead of Pena and both are, you know, like, Pena's 293, Dubon's 296, Singleton's 267. Like none are particularly good. Singleton's closer in that regard. So Singleton has seen some bad luck. I just don't think, I'd, I'd almost, you know, I've talked about this with Hunter Brown a little bit on the last episode. Um, 
Hunter Brown got babbipped and homered all year. Um, and the whole year I was saying, you know, these are some of the, you know, I'd say two of the three big indicators of luck. Uh, the third being left on base percentage. Um, but at a certain point, you do have to wonder if those metrics aren't entirely luck. I know people will cite the year-to-year correlation being very low, and I understand that, and that's a, that's a sound argument. But on the other hand, you know, Hunter Brown's fastball, which is much more dead zone, is a lot more likely to be barreled up than a uh, Christian Javier's 2022 fastball, or maybe his new fastball, hopefully. Uh, but um, regardless, I think uh, you can sort of point to the same thing with Singleton, where I can't tell you 100% why he's getting so unlucky, but I'm not ready to to test that in the playoffs. Um, if this were August, I'd say keep trotting him out there. Um, and granted, I do probably still give him the edge for the 13th spot, assuming there's no um, third catcher, just because he is a considerably better hitter than Kessinger. And, you know, even though you probably are more likely to use Kessinger as a runner than Singleton as a hitter, um, at-bats are more are more valuable than, than base running opportunities. And that's fair. I'm not so much cheerleading. Like I think the days of thinking we might get the 1200 OPS triple a singleton, you know, translated are over, but I mean, Pena has a 19th percentile ex Woba on the year in his savant. And yeah, you mentioned the walks and you're right. He walked a lot more in the second half, but for what it's worth, um, he had 15 walks in about a three and a half week stretch in August, and he hasn't had more than five or six walks in any month the rest of the year. And you look at that 19th percentile Woba, and then you factor in his split. And I don't think the bar is that high for Singleton to clear um, to be a better at bat against a really strong righty. But we'll see. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to happen anyway. I think, frankly, whoever he carries um will not play at all in the series most likely between kessinger and singleton um so there's and then the the final argument to be made there is just that um if it's close pena gets the tiebreaker one because of his speed much faster than the other two and two if you're pinch hitting or pinch run or yeah but in this case pinch hitting for someone you're never doing so with when there's like a zero percent chance of of having to go back on defense right if you're down and you're pinch hitting for someone it's because you're trying to tie the game in which case you'd go back out for defense if you're up, you're always dealing with the case where you don't take the lead. You Maybe you stay tied or, or maybe they tie it or whatever. Um, and so Pena will almost – or there, there will almost definitely be at least a, a very reasonable probability of having to go up for defense. Pena is clearly the best defensive shortstop. I mean, Singleton's obviously not even a shortstop, but you'd put Dubon there um, in, the, in the, the other case. So um, tiebreaker goes to Pena. Um, and I think – I mean, you could the same thing applies to Dubon, I guess, but I think just this, like, theory that – you know, Pena was a beast in August, like you sort of just alluded to. Once 150 WRC plus, by far his best month. Um, you know, here's to hoping he can sort of you know rekindle that, or especially rekindle what he did last October. Um, but just the, the 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 giving the guy consistent plate appearances, not taking the bat out of his hands, is probably enough as a tiebreaker um, for me to say there are really. Besides, uh, with without diving into like spe- specific pitch data to really break down who fares better against pitchers like, like guys like Dubon and Pena, which by the way the organization should be doing, and I'm I'm sure at least some guys in the organization are doing. It's just I haven't done it myself. I'd probably 
lean Pena in pretty much all cases, except the very specific case in which you need a, a batted ball, in which case you're using Dubon every day over Singleton. So um, I don't think pinch hitting for Pena with Singleton is a very realistic possibility. Unless now, let me ask you this. Already in the game, but... What if there's a two-out situation, high leverage, Maldi is still in the game? You got to go get Pena with Yiner, right? Or do you... That's a trickier spot, if right? Pena's, if Pena's eight and, and Maldi's nine. Yeah, Payne yeah, is eight, yeah, Maldi's yeah. nine, two outs. You do. I don't know if you, I don't know if Dusty does. You, you you absolutely do, and then you you figure you figure it out later. Um, I mean, you just hope they don't walk Yiner, I guess. But um, regardless, yeah. <laughs> that would be. You know, I, I guess the, the way you do that, of course, in any situation like that, what ends up happening is um, Dubon goes to shortstop, and Jake Myers enters in center, and you right. figure the rest. And that's out. fair. So, and you still don't. So yeah, I, I'm not. I don't think there needs to be too much more of a discussion on Kessinger versus Singleton. Yeah. Um, either is fine. I think the more important uh, detail is who, uh, whether the Astros should carry a 13th pitcher, um, which I think is probably a, you know, a yes from me. Um, yeah, I agree. I think, I agree. I, I think, look, if it were a 13th, if the 13th guy were like a, uh, you know, Joel Kunal or something, like I'm not going to push that narrative all that hard. Um, but one, you just get into cases where you just need pitching. I mean, hitting, it's like you can even, you know, Maldonado taking at bats isn't going to kill you. You know, giving a guy like Hunter Brown seven extra innings or something. I mean, we saw like a little preview with like Luis Garcia, but can really kill you. So you just always can't, you can never have too much pitching as a general philosophy. But breaking down the specific roster, the six, I think, relievers who are absolute locks Presley, Abreu, Neris, Maton, Montero, Graveman, right? And all deserving my opinion. You have the starters, Verlander, Fromber, Javier, France, probably game four. And I think Urquidy and Brown also make it. I think that's a right. very clear 12, just like how there's a clear 12 hitters and a clear 12 pitchers. Now, just like in years past, that last spot, we're missing one thing, and that's a lefty reliever. Obviously, Fromber can start, but a lefty reliever is particularly important against this Twins team. Um, breaking down their lefty hitters, um, and their production against uh, left-handed pitching. You get uh, Edward Julian, and granted, in relatively all small samples, Edward Julian has a 22 WRC plus against left-handed pitching. He, I, he didn't even uh, play very much uh, until very late down the stretch against left-handed pitching. You got Matt Wallner, who has a 30 WRC plus against left-handed pitching. You have uh, Alex Kirilov, who has a 37 WRC plus against left-handed pitching. Um, Kepler is a little bit better, but those are three hitters right right there who you're you're almost definitely, uh, if it's late in the game at least, going to knock out of the game uh, because the Twins do have a lot of pinch hitting options. Baldelli's been pretty aggressive there. Um, so just having Mashinsky there to maybe take out an Edward Julian in like the fifth or sixth inning, um, even if it's, you know, means that he has to face a, a solid right-handed hitter is, is still worth it in my opinion. Um, now, my hesitation is... Um, you know, just as I'm sure Dana Brown feels, part of his job isn't just acquiring and and rostering talent. It's also, you know, doing so and understanding that at a certain point, um, you lose control of what happens and it goes into Dusty Baker's hands. And we know Dusty loves having lefty relievers. Um, so the last thing I would want is to, you know, push Parker Mashinsky in a relatively high leverage late inning situation. And when I say relatively, I know he's not coming in in a one-run game, but even up like four or five, 
uh, you don't want him or down one or two, you don't want him in. So it is a little bit like, you know, at a certain point, if he's just going to be mop up duty, like what, what's the point? Um, but just like how Singleton and Kessinger would be used in very sparingly in very specific situations, I think if you do get an extra inning game and you do need like a big out against a left-handed hitter, um, and maybe they've already brought Solano or Willie Castro or Kyle Farmer into the game, then you do go to Mashinsky. So um, I think it's very clear that this is a guy who should be used. I mean, maybe it's like if Javier can't give you length in game three um, and, you know, you pull him in the middle of the third or fourth inning in a high leverage spot against a lefty hitter, you bring in Mashinsky. But outside of that, this is a guy who should be used in very specific situations very often, given that the Twins don't really stack lefties. Uh, very often he should be used to record one, maybe two outs, and that's it. Um, obviously, uh, you know, given the three batter minimum, you know, that, that might be restricted in some regard, but but that's the role I would put him in. Um, so definitely go with Mashinsky there, just used very sparingly, not how I think Dusty would like to use any given lefty in a team that has, against a team that has lefties with pretty strong splits. Yeah, you really have to figure each player's marginal value relative to Dusty's perceived value of the player to figure out who should be on the roster because what's the downside risk. Let me make the devil's advocate argument for Stanek, right? Because I think just as we have Singleton and Kessinger probably fighting for that 13th hitting spot if you go 13-13, Ryan Stanek, who's healthy again, um, has been better against lefties both this year and last year, at least in his bottom line results. Now you can look under the hood better than anybody at this stuff, but lower on base percentage, less power. He only allowed two home runs and 97 plate appearances this year against lefties. And theoretically Stanek is someone where if there is a three batter minimum in play, which there is, and you bring him in against a lefty with two outs and he doesn't get him. I think you're more like, oh, shit, if it's Mushinsky and now you've got to deal with, you know, a really good righty. You know, if Correa is coming up or Royce Lewis is coming up and you didn't get the third out, um, you're in big trouble. If you just walked a guy left on left and you can't get him. And Stanek, at least theoretically, gives you a little bit more confidence if he's got to pitch a full inning or a three batter sample of anybody. Um, So with Stanek, of course, we saw last year. There's really not a risk that Dusty's going to overuse him because last year he had that artificially, deceptively low ERA and you had fans clamoring for more Stanek and you didn't even have Phil Maton on the roster. So you had a lot more opportunities in those spots that I think we'll see Maton this year for Stanek. And Dusty really stayed away from from him for the most part. Um, So I don't know if Stanek can be a lefty specialist per se, but I know that he's probably the other guy being considered. Do you have reason to say it's a mirage there against lefties the last couple of years and you'd really want the true left on left? Um, I, I think Stanek's actually relatively comfortably better against lefties than Mashinsky. I don't think Mashinsky's all that good of a pitcher. Um, you know, Mashinsky's career numbers against lefties are actually pretty discouraging. Um, believe it or not, he's, uh, you know, against lefties, uh, in his career, 18.6 K rate against righties, 26.8 K rate. So um, better against righties there. Um, also walks half the batters against righties. So um, I'm not even arguing for that. It's just when you have three guys on the Twins roster who have such extreme splits. Um, like, I mean, I on my fantasy baseball team, I owned Edward Julian for a good portion of this year. And very few times where I, what, what did I find uh, you know him in the lineup against lefties. Like, it's very clear why and that they're not 
thrilled with him against lefties. He also is one of the better hitters on the team, um, as is Walner, and Kirilov obviously has potential. So um, I think just having three guys who just don't hit lefties well means that it can't hurt to have a lefty. And I mean, the Astros have guys who can beat lefties uh, in medium to high leverage spots. I think that's very clear. Um, But um, when it comes to the very specific task of getting these three guys out and potentially getting them out of the game, um, and also given that, you know, as I just said, Mashinsky isn't a slouch against righties, even though he's probably whatever the next uh, next worst word is. Um, I think you probably lean towards uh, just having the lefty on the roster because of how poorly um, those three hitters actually fare against lefties. But it is a so really weird. Uh, yeah, what you're trying to do is bait Rocco Baldelli then in the fifth or sixth inning to pinch hitting for a really good left-handed hitter knowing you're going to come back the next time that guy's up and Naris or Abreu or Presley's going to be in the game and you don't have to worry about him anymore. And it's almost like if you could just use Mashinsky, obviously you don't want to give up a run in that spot for that exchange, but if you can use him to bait one of those guys out of the game in the fifth inning, he's done his job. So I, I guess I see it there. I just, I don't know that Baldelli would step in that bear trap and he probably would just let his lefty hit against a middling replacement level lefty reliever rather than take Walner out of the game, you know, in the fifth inning. But, um, okay, so very quickly here, so I probably would go Singleton and Stanek. We don't need to spend too much time on the roster at this point. Um, what are you looking for in game one today in this Verlander overstart? I don't want to do a, you know, studio Fox pregame keys to the game bullet point segment here, but to the extent that's what we're doing, um, you know, what do you think are some of the more high leverage things to watch in on these two rosters in game one? I mean, I, I mentioned earlier how Ober um, does seem to have um, peculiar time through the order splits, suggesting that there is some sort of compound, compounding effect in his starts where if he's pitching well early, he's more likely to pitch well late. If he's pitching not well early, he's probably not even going to be in the game late. Um, so... Um, I do think it is extremely important to jump on over early. Um, I think, and this might be a general just guide to the to the postseason. Um, there are three guys I kind of feel like the Astros should you know live by and die by. Um, the three guys who I'm okay with losing in the postseason if it's because of them, um, and those guys are Presley, Abreu, and Neris. Um, last year, we were, they, you know, those guys, especially Presley and Abreu, were used pretty extensively. Um, they didn't actually need to be, though. I think this year we're getting a, we're getting a season where they actually do need to be um, used pretty extensively. I don't think the Astros have enough quality arms. I do think there are, will be as good as Christian Javier has fared in the last few starts, and you know, as the as promising as JP France's run prevention has been at times. There will be times where he, they, those pitchers don't give you three, four innings. Does that mean you might need a bray for two innings? Um, you know, taking away some sort of like morality or ethical issue with, you know, running a guy's arm into a, into the ground, especially you know Neris, who's an impending free agent, or uh, a bray who's you know awaiting his big payday at some point. Um, you now have guys who I'd rather push them to the limits than push Christian Javier or JP France to the limits. So what does that mean? That means that in game one, get as many innings as possible from Justin Verlander. It's almost backwards. And, you know, my initial point was use the relievers 
extensively. But to do that in the games where you're probably going to need them, you need guys like Verlander and Fromber to cover innings. Also, I don't think Verlander is pitching on short rest in game four. I don't think that makes That's sense. That's what I was going to ask you. If, if you're dusty year. and you if you know you're going to Verlander, if you're down 2-1, wouldn't that make you a little less yes, aggressive yes. with I just, him? I just 100%, but I just don't think they'll do that. I will say, like, maybe this is a you know, too computerized of a, of an idea. I do think if the Astros jump up, jump out to like a five, six run lead early uh, while Verlander's pitch count is like sub 50, they should pull him. I, I'll stand by that and I'll die on that hill. That I've thought that for years. Guys. Teams never do yeah. it though. Teams never, never do, it. do it. The off chance that, you know, you bring in an Arcidi and you lose the game. Um, yeah. I wouldn't want to be the manager answering questions there later because nobody will care about the, Oh, it's a good process. Just a bad result. Um, they a hundred percent should do that. Um, I think it's, I'm trying to think of past examples where, where we've seen something like that. But, um, you know, I think, for example, in, against the Astros, remember 2021, the ALCS, um, Nathan Avaldi. I mean, the Red Sox jumped out to an eight, nothing lead in two innings. Um, then they tried to they use Nathan Avaldi, you know, through, I think the normal start, um, if I'm remembering correctly, then they tried yep. to bring him out in relief in game four and then on short rest in game six. Like I think they really could have benefited from, from saving him a little bit there. Um, maybe the same in game three with Eduardo Rodriguez. Maybe they wouldn't have had to use Nathan Avaldi on short rest. Um, like congrats to the Red Sox in those two games for bumping their win probability from 99.5 to a hundred by uh, throwing those guys. I, you know, I hope those banners are hanging uh well these days but um the point is and i can't stress this how excited would you be if we went up six nothing on over in the bottom of the first and you see hunter brown warming up like hell yeah let's do it i mean that's the way to go um maybe someone a little less volatile than brown like at that point you could give france (laughs) that game right um but uh but 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 the point holds and i can't stress this enough that this is the number one thing i think teams get wrong you have to win the series not the games and i know you have to win the games to win the series um, but there are many ways to win the series. I think the best example was, I brought this up a few times, but it drives me nuts every time I think about it. I think it was maybe the worst decision Dusty's made um, as a manager of the Astros, given the, the, the leverage of the spot. And honestly, I think you can make a case that it is less defensible of a decision than the uh, decision to bring in Will Harris or, or you know, I think leave Garrett Cole in the, in the, in the bullpen, even though that's a separate argument is that in the 2021 world series, the Astros brought in their game six starter, Jose Arquiti for one inning relief in game five and brought Luis Garcia in in short rest in game six. Um, I'm not saying that cost them the series. They were shut out in game six, but I can't stress enough that that was a prime example of way too, uh, way too uh, short-sighted thinking um, in that, Dusty was so focused on winning the game when in reality, winning that game did not matter if you didn't win the other two. So we're getting cases here now where obviously there are a bunch of more possibilities of how to win series when you're starting a five-game series than when you're down 3-1 in a seven-game series. But the point is that um, you need to win this. By the way, I would like to write in, if I may just write in, giving a Lance McCullers, who they knew was hurt, two starts in the World Series and an unhittable Christian Javier only one which we got away with because we won three games in a row. But anyway. I mean, my only thought there is, and it's impossible to know, but when you're deciding things like that, that's a pregame decision, maybe even a pre-series decision where at that point it might not be dusty, where I'm a little more confident that the in-game stuff like that or Keedy relief appearance in game five of the 21 World Series is is a uh, dusty decision. But yes, I'm highly critical of that decision. And I will say uh, numerous times that, you know, 
Dusty owes Jordan, uh, you know, dinners forever for, you know, planting a ball on the moon just to prevent him from uh, from maybe realizing the worst decision of his career. So um, that's obviously a separate point. But um, the general idea is that you need to win the series. And um, I do think the Astros should be aggressive. There's always, always, always going to be this crowd that comes in with the, the ethical uh, argument of um, how to use pitching. And I get it, especially when the guy's 40 years old after enduring, you know, elbow injuries um, and clearly, you know, on the on the downswing of his career, even though he's you know staying afloat for uh, an, a miraculously long time. Um, but regardless, um, that's how I would play it. Um, I do think, you know, under, under the most likely case where it's a competitive game, um, you are going to want to get as many innings from possible from Verlander in game one. Um, you know, ideally, you game four would be a, 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 a bullpen game where, maybe the last seven innings of game one would be a bullpen game or game four would be a bullpen game. And so how do you get there? Um, you get length from Verlander, Fromber, and hopefully even Javier. So that's the key to look for it, looking for it. I know people might not want to hear that the key to game one is to do something that'll help you beyond game one, because obviously game one's a huge game. The Astros lose game one and they're not in a very good position. So um, obviously they want to win game one and they need to do what's best there. Um, but in the case where you can get length from Verlander, that's key. You also want, you want to knock Ober out early and you want to make sure you're as set up as possible for the remainder of the series. Yeah. And along those lines, I, I had a similar thought, which is, you know, Verlander, we've talked about this before. We talked about Garrett Cole. He's Homer prone, but to the extent that he doesn't, he doesn't walk guys, he's, you know, you give up one or two solo home runs, your bats need to show up against Bailey Ober enough to erase that, of course. Um, but so for me, the concern is the elevated walk rate, which was more of an issue with the Mets than since he's come back. Um, but Verlander, I mean, we need to stress here, the lefties in the Twins lineup, you know, some of their like most well-known players, it looks like Buxton might be back. He's right-handed. Correa's right-handed. Royce Lewis is getting a lot of press after tearing up the Blue Jays. He's right-handed. Their lefties can really, really hit. Um, the ex-Wobas this year, Matt Walner, 376. Now, it's only 254 plate appearances, so it's a little less than half a season sample, but that is a very high ex-Woba. Um, Kepler this year quietly turned in a career year after he got kind of put in the doghouse as sort of like a post hype guy. They're just waiting to stop paying. He was blocking prospects. Kepler comes out this year, 363. Okay. And then you're looking at Polanco 350 and he's a switch hitter. Who's pretty good from both sides, but he'll be batting left-handed. Um, you had Julian, you said as a, he's their second baseman. Um, he kind of is in a platoon with Polanco where Polanco slides to third base, um, Lowest against right in baseball, Edward Julian, just as a side. Note. Lowest chase rate. So he said as, as, as a rookie. Yeah. Yeah. And 348 X Woba, you know, a very good. So they've got guys from the left side who, if Verlander is facing them with guys on base and they don't chase, um, the walks are what's going to hurt. It's not going to be Matt Walner runs into a solo home run. If you lose two to nothing, you just get mad at the hitters and tip your cap to Bailey Ober or whatever. So for me, I, I, my concern is if Verlander's behind in counts, especially against the more brand name guys. If he's thinking too much and Maldonado's thinking too much and they're going full with Correa and full with Lewis and whoever else, and then one of these lefties comes up with two on and two out, 
Verlander's at high risk of giving up, you know, a home run to a good left-handed hitter in this lineup. So, um, you know, certainly I think keeping runners off base via the base on balls for Verlander uh, in this game today. Uh, thoughts later in the series that you, you've mentioned before that you think the Astros are pretty disadvantaged in these starting pitching matchups. Um, offensively, uh, against Fromber, do you think that the Astros are in better shape with the lefty on the mound or not really twins are pretty balanced? Yeah, the twins are pretty balanced. I mean, I don't know if you'll see those young lefties that we mentioned, Julian Juan or Kirilov start, but the twins are so deep. I mean, Donovan Solano doesn't start and he was a well above average hitter this year. Willie Castro showed, showed promise. Kyle Farmer is a fine player. Um, I mean, Buxton might return this series, which bumps Michael A. Taylor probably to the to the bench, and he's obviously a replacement guy. So uh, you're not as focused on bumping guys out of the lineup as you would be on maybe a team like the Astros. Um, but sure, I do think the Astros can benefit from uh, throwing Fromber or just having a lefty um, available. So um, look, I, I think... Um, their work will be cut out for them no matter who the who the pitcher is. I don't think this is a team with you know a clear advantage one way or another, um, like the Astros. But um, that said, I do think just at least very least changing uh, the, the their uh, approach uh, with their lineup. Obviously, um, if you know guys like Julian and Wonger and Kirilov don't start, um, probably pinch hitting later in the game. In which case, you're depleting their bench. So that's always an advantage in in some regard. Um, but we'll see. I don't think that the Astros are lined up all that favorably pitcher-wise, especially against a team that just played two games and threw their two best pitchers. Um, you know, the Astros obviously have the pitching advantage in game one. Um, but both Pablo Lopez starts, I mean, or both the, the remainder, the, the last two, Fromber and probably Verlander in game five starts, um, are pretty mitigated by Pablo Lopez, who's quite the pitcher himself. And then you get... Christian Javier versus Sonny Gray, advantage Sonny Gray. And then you get JP France versus Joe Ryan, advantage Joe Ryan. So, uh, I mean, it's, 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 at, 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 it's at best a, a flip pitching-wise. Um, and I don't even think it is after game one, I'm saying, um, given that the Astros do have a clear game one advantage. So that should speak to how important game one actually is. Um, you lose game one, and not only do you go down one nothing in the series, but you lose the pitching advantage the, way, the remainder of the way. So um, can't stress that enough, how tough those Twins guys are, and I think the Astros saw it firsthand at points this year. Um, but that said, maybe that'll benefit them. I mean, if I remember correctly, um, the Twins in their six games against the Astros did not see – uh, Fromber, Javier once. Um, Verlander wasn't even on the Astros. I don't know if the Twins faced Verlander as a, as a Met. I, I don't know. But um, regardless, if, if they did, that would have been only once. So um, relatively new guys for the Twins, at least this year. And maybe the good thing, given that the, tw that the Twins are, are young, um, obviously there is some sort of exposure effect. Um, and the Astros have seen the Twins' top guys. Um, that said... Still very tough, and by no means a uh, a cakewalk that we'd like it to be. I think this is this is probably sorry. This is definitely the Astros' toughest uh, DS opponent since probably 2019 um, against Tampa Bay, and and you could argue it's it's their toughest DS opponent of the golden era. Maybe the 17 Red Sox. Well, let me ask you this: very, uh, we have to tough. get it on the we have to get it on the record before Game One because we'll have more data, of course. But let's just say you're two two, right? You've got Verlander and Fromber on full rest. And again, right now, we don't know what they looked like in games one and two. 
if you're in the dugout and you're getting, you know, the $500 million Jim Crane bonus for winning it, and let's just assume you can't piggyback it because we're going to, you have to be dusty somewhat here. You got to give an opportunity for 90 pitches to either Verlander or Fromber, game five, 2-2 against Pablo Lopez back here at Minute Maid, I guess it'd be next Friday. Who would you pitch in that game? Really putting me on the spot here. Well, yeah, I mean, these are our two aces. I mean, who gets yeah, the ball? No, do or not. Um, so the Twins against left-handed pitching have a 100 WRC plus this year. The Twins against right-handed pitching have a 111 WRC plus this year. Seems like advantage Fromber. I've been a Fromber guy this whole year. Um, it really depends on, I think, um, maybe what they see out of his sinker. If it's uh, more home run prone, I think you lean Verlander because Fromber allows too many base runners to to be home run home, home run prone. Um, obviously, Verlander also has the extra day. You also do have that extra day of rest on Verlander next Friday. Sure, I don't I don't view that as all that significant, just given that both okay. are in normal rest. Um, the right answer is piggyback without a doubt. I don't think twice in my mind, and I almost think you might see that from Dusty, um, but probably not. Um, and so. You are put to the test there. I think if if we're saying who we think it'll be, I don't think there's any doubt that it would be Verlander, at least at this point. Um, he's the veteran, and if we've learned literally one thing about Dusty this year, it's that he likes his veterans. Um, I also think there's there will be the mental component argument, even though I don't believe that holds as much weight as some people make it out to be. Um, if Fromber is not mentally um, where he needs to be, um, or if he's not capable of getting getting himself together in big games then explain why um, he was significantly better than Berlander last October. Um, I think you saw a lot of, you know, maybe mental stuff in 2021. But if I'm being truthfully honest, I think um, the bigger issue is that Fromber's sinker was just getting hit hit hard. I don't think that was as mental as people are making out to be. It's not like he was just like, you know, starting a merry-go-round on the base paths with like walks and, you know, not being able to control himself. Right. Um, so I, I think... I go Fromber. Um, I think it might depend on who is better in game one if it's an extreme difference. Normally, I wouldn't put that much gain, weight, weight into a one-game sample, but against the same opponent, it, 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 it might actually matter. Um, but because of the lefty-righty splits, I, I do lean Fromber. Um, yeah. Okay, and so we'll wrap it up here. Again, the game will be later this afternoon, 345, first pitch. Uh, we will be back um, either late this evening or tomorrow morning before, well in advance, because the 7 p.m. start tomorrow night for game two. Um, just to recap and quickly pivot, be about a 20-minute show for you guys um, in between games. So stay tuned for that. We'll try to have it up tonight as a recap um, from the 345 game. So good luck to the Astros. Oh, real quick, Aiden, you have a pick in the other series, both who you want and who you think, Orioles, Rangers. I think people are realizing that all these models are favoring the Rangers. I think um, I, I will be rooting for the, the, the Rangers pretty comfortably. Um, maybe it's some sort of like cognitive bias in that I just saw the Astros dismantle the Rangers so much this year, um, and the Rangers pitching is just so thin right now, and I think that's something that in a seven-game series the Astros would just so capitalize on. Also the home field advantage, although I'm sure there will be a crowd that argues that that's not even an advantage, in which case I probably don't even have too too strong of a counter argument. But 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 regardless, um, yeah, I'll be rooting for the Rangers pretty pretty comfortably there. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I think they actually might get it, but I'm rooting for them anyway because in a seven game, like you said, it feels a little like the Phillies in last year's World Series, where like right. the, it's just the clearly a better you, team. Yeah, the deeper you get yeah. in the series, the more you feel like they just can't cover all these innings against our bats. So okay, we'll and see I you guys after the game tonight, and uh, hopefully up one nothing. Have a good day, everybody.